The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by HP. Welcome to CIO Talk Radio with your host, Sunjog All. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sunjog All. Good morning and uh, welcome to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. And as always, we invite you to join the discussion on Twitter, hashtag CTR Live, and look for this show as hashtag leadership. The today's topic is, are you an adaptive leader? And our guests for today's show are Sean Banerjee, who is a CIO practice. Uh, he's with CIO practice at Russell Reynolds Associates. Hi, Sean. How are you? I'm great, thank you. How are you? Very good, sir. Thank you. And we also have Tom College. Uh, he is uh, founding executive director of the Door Institute of New Leaders at Rice University. And he's also the author of In Extremist Leadership, uh, Leading as if Your Life Depended on It. Welcome to the show, both of you. How are you, Tom? I'm terrific. Thank you. Great, great. So, so this topic was, uh, the genesis of this topic is around when the times are uncertain and or things are changing significantly. Like typical change management when we talk about it is to some extent in our control where you are trying to make a difference. But now here we are talking about uncertain times and the adaptive leader is the only one who is going to survive. And we know that it has been rather turbulent in the last very many years and now it is changing so rapidly that it is becoming uncertain by the very nature of the you know demands that have been placed on the business. So let's start with you, uh, Sean. What do you think, as a leader, since you deal with so many of them, what are they facing as part of the, the challenges, when, especially when you're maneuvering through the uncertain times? Well, Sanjag, I mean, I, I think there are a variety of, of challenges that uh, the contemporary leader needs to kind of negotiate as, as they, uh, they look at their organizations and, and industries. I think one of the things that we encounter in spending time with the C-suite leadership boards of directors is that historically, when you look at where leaders come from, and in many cases, the paradigm for best leadership, they often come from what we would describe as academy companies, um, whether it's GE, IBM, PepsiCo, Coca-Cola, we can, we can go down the list. Um, and these companies have, you know, historically had very strong management training programs. They have strong cultures. You know, if you're a GE, you have, you know, a specific methodology built around Six Sigma for getting things done. And uh, in many cases, that manifests itself in a mindset that's akin to, you know, having the leadership or the management playbook. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, first and foremost, there's a difference between leadership and management, leadership being the ability to influence, you know, those around you to do things that perhaps they would not be naturally inclined to do or things that they, you know, don't have to do, whereas management is, you know, the inducement of, you know, you have to do it because I have the, uh, the specific authority. Um, but with that playbook, 
comes, you know, sometimes a, a tendency to focus on adhering to the playbook in a manner that, you know, precludes them from being adaptive and nimble. So this becomes a bit of a conundrum of leadership when you look at the model and say, you know, you've got people who come from these fantastic organizations, the McKinsey's, the GE's, et cetera, uh, and they have the playbook, but then suddenly they're put in a situation, either they've moved to a new company or their legacy company is facing severe disruption. How do they adapt? Because that playbook may not have a chapter on how to adapt. Uh, and that's a huge challenge that we're seeing right now is, you know, being able to break away from that legacy playbook and those models and look at what are those new models that in many cases you're having to create on the fly. Tom, when you look at uh, the people that you deal with and or the leaders that you have interviewed over the years and uh, really been building your program, do you see this adaptive, being adaptive as a nature or a nurture issue? Well, uh, for sure it's a nurture issue. Uh, there are elements of leadership that are uh, born into people, things like intelligence and good looks and height and some other things. But for the most part, this ability to be adaptive is, is, is learned. Um, it's also, however, uh, literally an evolutionary quality uh, that, that people who think creatively and can, vi- can have vision uh, even when that vision isn't structured by the current reality, in other words, in times of uncertainty, uh, are, are very powerful as leaders. Really, this notion of uncertainty makes two aspects of leadership um, critically important. The first, as I've already mentioned, is this ability to establish a vision even when you may not have the facts and structures and, and, and uh, uh, evidence to support that. Uh, And that comes through experience and through confidence in yourself and understanding that you can have a direction even if you're going in the dark, even if you're going in in a fog. But then secondly, uh, and this is really critical in terms of developing CIO leaders who are in a position to lead in uncertain times, uh, you have to be able to engender trust in people. As a manager, you can give people spreadsheets and you can give them facts and, and resources and things like that, uh, but when you don't have that, when you, when you can't give people perfect situation awareness, the only reason that they're going to do what you do is because they trust you. And so a lot of this has to do with engendering trust. So, you know, trust, again, is, is something, you know, anything which is measurable or quantifiable, you can work towards improving it. And trust is something that you say you're going to build. And you would not know till you do the test when the times demand. We go ahead in uncertain times and we have to become adaptive or, or we want the organization and the people within to become adaptive. That's the time when you will actually test that trust, but then it's, too close, or rather you are right there when you really need it, and if it doesn't go well, the damages are far bigger. So in order for preparing someone to be an adaptive leader and for that matter to instill trust in others, what could be the litmus tests we can do, uh, Sean, uh, so that we are prepared beforehand? Well, I think, you know, it's particularly complicated here, Sanjog, because 
one of the things that we've learned is that the historic, you know, uh, formula of past success being the single greatest indicator of future success uh, is discounted when you're talking about uh, disruption and adaptability. So, you know, there are certainly psychrometric tests that can be applied in order to understand the various predispositions and qualities that are imbued in an individual, you know, are they creative, you know, are, what is their IQ and, and, and various other uh, data points that, you know, we can, you know, feed into the machine, if you will, and, and, and receive back. Um, but the reality is, you know, the, the ultimate test is how the person actually, you know, performs on the job and in the field. And that's why so much of leadership these days is this judicious balance of risk and being able to take those informed decisions that mitigate and allow risk to be as calculated as possible. Um, it's, you know, it, we would like to be able to, and if it could be invented, I'm, trust me, Russell Reynolds would have invested in it. Uh, if there was a exact formula that we could, you know, punch in these data points and receive a, uh, a score as to this person's predisposition to be successful in their role, um, we would. But that is essentially the conundrum of disruption and adaptability. It's how that person performs when, you know, new stimulus and situations are, are presented to them. And again, that goes back to, you know, the information and science aspect of it, but then also the, uh, the behavioral piece, which can only be measured in, in essence in real time. You know, let's compare that to parenting. I always try to connect it to the real life where, as a parent, we want to make sure that we are not looking to develop or prepare the road for the kids, but instead for the, the, the kids for the road. So, Tom, coming to you, we know that, as per Sean, there is no indicator that this person is going to be successful based on the past successes. However, there are certain things we could do which will at least tell us that these are the attributes a person has to develop or hone, and when they are developed to the level that we see demonstrated, we at least will be fairly comfortable that this person, at least individually or as a team or work with others to make, bring success even in those uncertain times. Yeah. You know, my, uh, my research points to two things as being critical to establishing this trust. And, and Sean's right. It, it isn't resident in the individual. It exists in the interaction between the individual and other people. So you, you can never measure uh, trust or, or even engender trust as a trait of an individual. But clearly there are um, things that individuals can do to help engender that and have the influence that they want during uncertain times. And it works absolutely well with teenagers in the same way that it works with, uh, with business partners. And the first and most important thing is that there has to be a perception of competence uh, between the leader and the person that leader is trying to influence. And the very best way to establish that is to allow people see you work as a leader. So as leaders, we, you know, we often make decisions and do, do our own analyses and come to our own conclusions but often it's behind closed doors or maybe just with one other person in the room. Uh, and in the parenting relationship, often decisions in the family and, and so forth are made without really letting uh, our children in on it, without them seeing the rationale as it develops and, and seeing the competence 
that that parent uh, has. And so in, in both instances, if you can open the, 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 the tent a little bit and let people see the decisions as they come about, they get a sense for how competent that leader is, and that engenders trust. And the other thing that, that is uh, required for that trust to be built is the perception of loyalty downward from the leader to the person who's, who's following or to the partner in the, in the business enterprise. And so uh, leaders have to communicate that those individuals are recognized as stakeholders and that their uh, position is being taken into account when decisions are made. And that's also true whether it's in a business context or a family context. Uh, let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. It's interesting that we started talking a little bit about the solution before the problem was truly defined and the context was established. So how about in the second segment, we discuss about the type of challenges that a leader may face, uh, if, and then they have to demonstrate those adaptive capabilities. What are those and what, what is to be done in order for them to be successful along with their team? Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Find out how the HP as a service solution for SAP HANA can help you gain instant, impactful business results without capital investment by logging on to hp.com. Transform information into intelligence and a competitive advantage with a full spectrum of SAP HANA products and services from HP, a global SAP hosting partner. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sun Jog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sun Jog All. Welcome back. So we did discuss a few things which uh, we have to do in order to help a person become adaptive or at least work on, on their values and, and other areas of competence. Now, let's talk about the situations where if you are trying to, you, there's, there's a turbulence or there's an uncertain time, and this is for you, Sean. Um, if, if they are supposed to chart a course or kind of draw out a plan which they are to present, how would they do it when they know the options that they may have available and the type of strategies that they may even come up with? They cannot really predict the outcome. So how do, how do they take, choose one amongst, the, one amongst many others? And, and given so much is at stake, how would they make sure that they are reasonably uh, certain about going in the right direction? Sure, Sanjog. And, and again, I mean, this is one where, you know, I, I, if there was one easy answer, uh, the Harvard Business School would have probably patented it by now. I and mean, people go through <laughs> year, years and years of research and, and, and study uh, to try and, again, 
create a framework where it's about calculated risk-taking. I think one of the things that we see most regularly is, first and foremost, the leader needs to recognize, you know, what that, you know, challenge or what that disruption is. And then they must also realize that that, you know, disruption, what, what context it's being played out. So if disruption is a theory of competition, you know, how does your, if you take certain actions, you know, what will those, you know, reactions or results be in the marketplace? And part of this is you may need to chart multiple parallel approaches. This we no longer, in most organizations that are successful, no longer adhere to simply a linear approach to problem solving. Um, it's a much more inclusive, collaborative approach where a leader may actually set up, you know, several parallel teams and um, empower them to go about solving the problem uh, or taking advantage of the opportunity in their own independent way, and then selecting a, you know, ultimate. A solution based on, you know, the one that they believe is, is in fact the best. And, you know, this is certainly not uncommon in, in the CIO world or in technology companies where, you know, uh, you know Microsoft, Google, and, and, and others, you know, have parallel initiatives where there's almost internal competition going on uh, and, and the, uh, you know, winner ultimately is the one that's picked. Uh, but at the same time, those that aren't picked are invaluable in the process of getting the person to that, uh, to in getting the organization and that leader to a place where they can make this decision in an informed manner, again, in a way where the risk is in fact calculated. Um, so I, I think that is, you know, something that we see regularly in successful organizations and in leaders who, again, are seeking to make informed decisions, you know, based on the data. Uh, because of the world today is becoming increasingly data driven and you know the intuitive gut decision maker you know that's becoming you know discounted by and large uh, so you know being able to capture and aggregate those data and information assets and then put them into play as part of your decision making scheme that's of paramount importance in this new world order so tom let's talk uh, about the, the same response that Sean gave where data is paramount Coming uncertain times, coming disruption, something brand new. There is no precedence. There is no data per se. You got to chart a course and then not only just look at what you're going to do yourself, but whether you will take a leadership position among many others you may be connected to. Because today's organizations are not just acting themselves. They are connected to a value chain. And there are multiple players in it. So where do you stand how much of effort do you put in? And if everybody else is saying, or three out of the ten are saying we should go in one direction versus another, do you just join the bandwagon, or you should be the one who's challenging that? How, how does all that um, decision-making, or, or whether you call it gut or database, where, where, is that, where is that coming from, and how do you think that can be developed as a competence? Well, I think what's really key is that as people ascend into various leadership roles, they have to be comfortable with a greater and greater sphere of influence and the ability to vision out into that sphere. So I'll first give you a, a principled answer, and then I'll give you more of a, an example. So, <clears throat> you know, it has literally become a verb to be kodak where you know, your inability to see uh, into an uncertain future that's not supported by data causes you to lag behind in terms of your, your adaptiveness in a business context. 
And so uh, part of what leaders have to do is um, look broadly enough that they're no longer constrained by where they came from. And Sean made a great point uh, earlier in the discussion about people coming with a playbook or uh, set-piece solutions to problems. And that's very dangerous. Leaders have to be able to turn a problem in, and let the light go through it from different directions so that they can see solutions that other people aren't seeing. Now, in a more concrete sense, uh, I've been very impressed with our vice president of uh, IT here, Clara Jelenkova, who um, has, has really energized uh, IT operations here at Rice. And part of what she does is she comes to understand emerging needs first by going to the user and having uh, solid partnerships. But she envisions solutions that are not merely on the premises, that are not in uh, just central IT, but exist in the cloud and in the, the entire information ecosystem. And so, you know, I think she's a good example of a leader who can think broadly enough to come up with novel solutions to problems uh, rather than reverting back to what they did in the past. And this is, this is a perennial problem or challenge in leader development because in most organizations, the person who did the best at the lower level is promoted into the, the higher level to be the leader. And that, that often uh, creates a disconnect. They're, they're not ready for that, diff, that different role, even though they were very good uh, at the more concrete role at the lower or more tactical level. Sean, so when you look at um, the uncertain times, and especially whether it's uncertain or turbulent or, or times for disruption where things would look positive, we want to do a whole lot. There will be people who will try to make a market share uh, out of this, being opportunists. So there will be noise, a lot of signals, and you have to learn how to read through those signals yourself but even more importantly, get your team also to go through all of them, sift through them, and identify by interpreting them properly which ones would be the ones which we should embrace versus the ones we should discard. That's, that's a, a skill or a competency that is very tough bringing to ourselves, let alone, let alone for the team. Because if you're thinking about as an adaptive leader, your, your goal will be to not only develop that for yourself, but primarily for your team so that you can lead that team in the right direction. What does it take? Well, you know, Sanjag, it's, um, it, it's, it's one where, <clears throat> it, again, it's very situationally based. And I think one of the biggest challenges leaders face in these scenarios is when the organization itself has had, you know, perhaps tremendous success over an extended period of time, or is not failing so badly that it's viewed as terminal. And those are the scenarios, excuse me, where the leader uh, really needs to engender amongst the, the organization that either we are going to change and adapt, or we're going to be changed and our industry is going to adapt around us. So, you know, I, I think the you know example that Tom you used around being Kodak is is very apropos. And if we look at you know across industries, whether it's you know Uber and transportation and the implications for Uber to the Taxi and Limousine Commission, I mean, New York City, the Taxi and Limousine Commission 
and uh, the, the taxi drivers and the medallion holders, this was a virtual monopoly to the point that medallions that were auctioned by the city of, that were, you know, the city of New York, you know, valued at, you know, thousands of dollars were being auctioned off at seven-figure sums uh, as of recently as December 2014. Those medallions now in, you know, uh, October of 2015 have already been reduced in value to $600,000, and they're dropping, and it's directly related to Uber. Uh, convincing, you know, these various stakeholders that, you know, if we don't adapt and change, we will be disrupted when, you know, the industry is still doing moderately well is extremely difficult. And that comes down to, you know, personal leadership attributes, you know, including influence and the ability to, you know, convince those around you uh, that, that your path and vision is, is the right one, as well as empathy. Uh, being able to engender, as Tom you know, has, has repeatedly shared very correctly, trust. You know, do they in fact trust this individual, you as the leader, to lead them through this you know, period of tremendous change? Um, and you know, some organizations respond and, and others do not. When we look at you know, BlackBerry and what was happening to BlackBerry with the advent of the, you know, the, the iPhone and, and, and other smart devices, people are ready to write the company off. Well, you know, they have... You know, responded to that change and are adapting themselves. You know, IBM, um, a company that, you know, traditionally was, you know, in, in the hardware business and the software business, and, you know, they are now adapting into being a, you know, a, a software and services company. Dell, which, you know, so many organizations had, you know, written off, you know, as, as being, you know, very much yesterday's news, a company whose expertise is really based on manufacturing and supply chain and distribution, with their acquisition now, if it, you know, it passes of, of uh, EMC uh, and the subsequent ownership stake in VMware, puts them into an entirely different category. And, you know, Michael Dell, to his credit, you know, someone who, you know, people were beginning to question his, his, uh, his leadership direction, you know, has now emerged again as the taker of a risk, albeit a calculated risk, and one that, you know, potentially will not only transform the organization, but also transform, you know, the industry at large. It's the, you know, largest technology merger ever, potentially. Now, when you mention about this uh, situation with uh, Uber and the New York Taxi and Limousine Commission, there you had a disruption, and the, the, the trigger for that disruption was very clear, that is Uber. So the leader who went ahead and tried to work with the rest of the taxi and limousine crew at least had some basis for them to say, okay, this is what's truly happening. Let's go and uh, see where this is going to lead us and accordingly make the necessary changes. Well, there are certain or, in fact, many more situations where the signals or, or the ones who's going to be causing the disruption or causing us a risk or, or jeopardize our existence may not be clear, but we could see it coming. What do we do in that case? What does an adaptive leader do in that case? Tom? Well, uh, I think you draw on experience and creativity. I mean, you know, and moving forward, uh, momentum and speed is so important in this context. Um, you know, people who adopt a wait-and-see attitude are in big trouble. And so... You know, people who have energy, they've got some experience, they, they sort of sense how uh, things are going to go are the, are the people that, that you want to follow in those kind of contexts. 
So um, when you come to um, the multiple choices that they may be available, and, and Sean, this is going to be for you. We'll take a quick break and we'll be back. But the question I wanted to pose here is if you're going to be looking at diversity of views that you want to get from within the company, you don't want to be alone yourself trying to figure out what to do next. For that, you want people to have debates. You want to have a difference of opinion within the organization, and you should actually foster and, and uh, develop that culture in order for you to have multiple choices out of which you could judicially go, judiciously go and, and uh, get a choice made so that you can move forward. How do we provoke that? How do we instill it? How do we develop that culture? Because that's going to be part of the quality of, of an adaptive leader because they're not only adapting themselves, but actually positioning the organization to adapt in case of any turbulence or disruption. So please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Find out how the HP as a service solution for SAP HANA can help you gain instant, impactful business results without capital investment by logging on to hp.com. Transform information into intelligence and a competitive advantage with a full spectrum of SAP HANA products and services from HP, a global SAP hosting partner. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. Welcome back. So we did discuss a few things which uh, we have to do with an intent that there would be some diversity of views that will be created, which in turn will develop multiple choices and options for them to select from and move ahead. That is almost like crafting, um, you know, a movie which could be, which is not seen, which has not been seen yet, but you develop a culture, you develop a mindset, a lot goes into developing something like that, and maybe that's the attribute or, or competency that an adaptive leader has. But how do you, how do you do that? So what type of competencies you would have and how would you go about developing that type of uh, DNA within the organization? Well, I mean, it's, it's, Sanjay, I think, you know, what we're talking about here is a, creating a culture uh, that encourages these types of behaviors. Uh, and increasingly, it's, uh, it's happening in flatter and flatter organizations. And if you look at, you know, the more progressive, more successful organizations, particularly the ones that, you know, right now are, are capturing so much of, uh, of, of the attention of, of the markets, and, you know, we can point to the Ubers and the Facebooks and, and, and other organizations in those categories. Um, the, the reality is, you know, the way those organizations are structured, um, the way that the uh, that individuals in the organization across all levels of, of the structure are encouraged to participate 
in the dialogue and debate around innovation and change, uh, that's the fundamental difference. You know, again, you know, when we go back to the concept of the playbook leader um, in more traditional legacy hierarchical organizations, uh, you had top-down leadership um, and, you know, to the point that, you know, you could walk out on the shop floor or somewhere in the office, there's, you know, there's a suggestion box and the suggestion box was, you know, considered to be, you know, a real demonstration of, you know, including the opinions of, of, uh, others in the organization outside of, you know, the, the immediate C-suite. Um, and I think, you know, that in most cases, when you spoke to people, what they found was it was, you know, kind of a, a jaundiced, if, if not um, uh, somewhat skewed view as to whether the ideas were really welcome. And if you even made one would, you know, it, if it didn't relate to, you know, the quality of the bath towel in the restroom, whether it was going to be taken seriously. Um, and today you have organizations that spend significant time and resources in order to create an open collaborative culture uh, that promotes this type of, of discourse. Um, and there's certainly been, you know, organizations that have, uh, th- that have uh, been, you know, at the tip of the spear. Um, in particular, if you look at an organization like, you know, Bridgewater, which is the largest and arguably most successful hedge fund in the world, it's read, led by Ray Dalio, who, you know, despite, you know, what some people might perceive to be some idiosyncrasies, has been phenomenally successful. And the, one of the fundamental principles of that organization is creating a culture of debate where uh, ideas are expected to be brought forward. They're expected to be defended. And if you don't bring an idea forward, that's frowned upon. And if you bring an idea forward and it's not well thought out and defensible, it's frowned upon. And if you don't challenge uh, people's ideas, that's frowned upon. And when you do that long enough, that takes root and becomes a culture that promotes uh, internal competition. The best ideas inevitably come forward. And then the CEO essentially, or, or whomever the, uh, the, the uh, relevant leader might be, depending upon the, the, uh, the decision, uh, is in a position to select from the very best vetted ideas. So culture is really central to this and, you know, doing it in a manner that is, you know, open and robust, but still professional, that's absolutely essential. This is Tom Colditz. That's a, that's a ter- terrific answer. And it's particularly true in organizations that would otherwise be hierarchical. Um, the military, in fact, has made a real art form out of after-action review processes and discussions where... Uh, rank really has no privilege that it's it's focused on uh, outcomes and most of these uh, shaping these cultures in the direction that Sean just talked about has a lot to do with the with with specific technique Uh, I taught for three years at the Yale School of Management and one of the things I always taught the MBA candidates there is how to manage town hall and other kinds of employee interactions you know, how do you control the dialogue so someone doesn't hijack the conversation? And how do you draw people out so that they feel comfortable uh, giving bad news or uh, criticism appears, criticism of self, in a context where it's going to work for the organization? So, uh, I, you know, I agree completely. And what I would add is people can learn to do that. Leaders can learn to do that. So when you are looking at, uh, Tom, this whole situation of, us trying to develop a culture, and we say we will develop that diversity of views. 
how much of that should be a reflection of how as a leader you think? Because you have to kind of say, I am going to remove myself as an adaptive leader from influencing the thoughts. Maybe I'll create the machine, but I will not like to have it turn out and be a reflection of all thoughts the way I am thinking. How do you, how do you put yourself in a situation where you are being contradicted as a result of what you created as a thought leadership machine and which essentially creates the diversity of you so you are able to get multiplicity of, of ideas as a result? Well, I, I think it has to be authentic. You can't fake uh, interest in the opinions and insights of other people. So I think, first of all, the, the leader has to have the humility and the, um, you know, the flexibility to believe that they may not have all the answers and, and then uh, shape the culture in, in a way that's going to help them uh, get some of the answers. Uh, in addition, leaders have to take ownership of the culture. So if, you know, if you're a leader of an organization and it has a given culture, that's on you. That's, that's the leader's responsibility. If the leader doesn't like it, then the leader needs to reshape it. But uh, it's the responsibility of the, of the leader to have that culture. And then lastly, I think it's very important that leaders never abdicate being responsible and accountable for outcomes because people are going to have ideas and some of them are going to be good and some of them are going to be bad and they're not going to work. And when that happens, if the leader points a finger at other people in the organization, it will have a chilling effect on their willingness to contribute. But if the leader accepts the fact that everyone is trying to make things work, and this is just one instance in which uh, the organization lost and they take that responsibility onto themselves as leaders, then people will go confidently forward and be willing to, to uh, give input and, and um, you know, the right kind of self-critical, self-analytical culture uh, like Bridgewater uh, will f- be fostered and will grow. So, uh, Sean, when we talk about an organization's interest, they are, of course, thinking of this whole uh, change in people, change in direction, etc., to be sustainable, to be profitable. So there's an economical interest. Now, as a leader, you are not exactly torn, but you have to play this juggling uh, game where you have to economically help the enterprise but also keep the employees emotionally satisfied to some extent and professionally as well so that the culture is, is maintained and it is a sustainable culture. So how do you balance, align, or even converge these two agendas and, and champion it to a point where you're allowed to do it? So sometimes one cannibalizes the other. Yeah, and, and Sanjog, I mean, I would, I would say, and this is perhaps the, the spot market, but in my 20 years of executive search and, and assessment, I mean, I've had the good fortune to come into contact with great leaders, lousy leaders, great companies, lousy companies, and, you know, every, everything in between. And it's interesting because, you know, at, at, there was a time where I believed that, you know, the scenario you just described, which is a judicious balance between commercial outcomes and we'll call it, you know, employee in, in, engagement. Uh, and what I have discovered uh, more recently, and I think, you know, Tom may even have some science to back this up, uh, this certainly goes for millennial workers uh, as, as well as for those of, you know, slightly older demographics, that um, it's all about the culture. And if you do not, in fact, have an engaged, happy, 
positive workforce um, that it's virtually impossible to generate and drive the kind of commercial outcomes or to optimize the commercial outcomes expected of the organization. Um, it's, the, it's, again, part of the new world order in which we reside, but employees that feel like they are part of the process, whether it's finance, IT, marketing, whether they have an ownership in the business, whether they're a, a direct equity holder or not, where um, the, the, the authenticity of the leadership, is, as, as Tom referred to, uh, is genuine. Um, those are the factors and others that contribute to creating a work environment where the individuals come together as a group and contribute in the most beneficial manner to delivering the desired commercial outcomes in a sustainable manner. Uh, I would be hard-pressed to point to an organization that doesn't have a great culture that if you were to pull their service or their product uh, from a customer standpoint, that they would be identified as, as, as being a leader in their field. Tom, what do you have to say about this particular area where you have to try to be a great adaptive leader, but at the same time, all of that should not be skewed towards commercial success of an organization? You want the people to really work with you. You want them to trust you. But then when it comes to really making sure who is benefiting, it should not just be the organization. No, that's exactly right. I mean, I, it was Peter Drucker, I think, who, uh, who said, uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And he was referring to it, he was with Dick Clark of Merck, and he was referring to it in terms of <clears throat> the, the overarching value of culture uh, when it comes to the purpose and direction of an organization, that it has to be resident in the people there. On the other hand... Uh, leaders can't allow themselves to get lost in sort of uh, softer, relate, more relational matters and forget that, you know, in many instances, their, their purpose or function is to provide outcomes for stakeholders. And, uh, and so that element of commitment to the business model has to also be resident in, in the culture. Um, I think for most leaders... It, it, it should feel difficult to separate the two. I mean, we can separate them conceptually and we can talk about them, but to a leader who's in situ, in an organization, you know, accomplishing what they need and doing it with people, it should feel very seamless to, to focus on those two things, on the notion of the development of the culture and the, and the focus on outcome goals. So um, when we look at the different things that have already been tried in terms of whether it is uh, building a culture and or uh, getting everybody to develop a diversity of views so that you have multiple options available, especially at the time of turbulence. What are the lessons learned? What are some of the things that people learned is what, are, what we should not be doing as an adaptive leader or in the process of becoming an adaptive leader? Let's explore that when we come back. Please stay tuned. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. 
HP is proud to sponsor this program. Find out how the HP as a service solution for SAP HANA can help you gain instant, impactful business results without capital investment by logging on to HP.com. Transform information into intelligence and a competitive advantage with a full spectrum of SAP HANA products and services from HP, a global SAP hosting partner. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sun Joke All. Welcome back. So, uh, Sean, we know that we are all trying hard. There is no doubt that the, the leaders want to become adaptive. The intention is there. What are some of the learnings? in due course as people have gone through those respective journeys and tried to deal through the turbulent times, develop the competency of them for themselves and for their team. What are some of the lessons learned? I, I, I think that, you know, it's, a compl- it's, it's, compl- it's complicated calculus, um, and there are a variety of inputs that get taken into consideration, uh, not the least of which is, uh, for the leader, an exercise in, in reflection and prioritization. You know, what, what is important to them? How do they align, you know, culture with the commercial outcome? Um, you know, how do they encourage the organization uh, to be open uh, and, and uh, bring forward, you know, fresh and, 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 and new ideas, even, you know, knowing that, you know, not all of them or even a fraction of them are actually going to be adopted. Um, but I think that, you know, one of the, the big pieces around that is, you know, it goes back to some of the, the qualities that, that Tom mentioned around, you know, creativity. Uh, the other piece that I would mention here that, you know, we, ha- we haven't spoken much about today is, is courage. And, you know, the, the, the courage of conviction, uh, Sanjog, and, and sometimes that conviction uh, is contrary to, uh, to what the, you know, the, the industry or even the, you know, own organization's legacy has been. You know, if we look at a Richard Branson, um, you know, this is an individual who has defied convention in his industry um, from a pricing standpoint, from an experience standpoint. Um, an Elon Musk at, at, at Tesla, um, you know, really inverting the uh, the, the, the whole uh, uh, view of the, of the vehicle, and you know, shifting away from you know carbon based uh, uh, um, you know components to essentially being a you know mobile hotspot. Um, being able to identify in your competitors where your partners might be. Um, not being linear in one's thinking uh, and, and being able to advocate for a variety of, of different avenues and routes that might eventually lead to the desired outcome. So I think that, you know, what we are finding now is that the adaptable leader, you know, is someone that is living in the moment but is always looking towards the future. They're always gathering information. 
they're testing that information with others. Uh, when they bring an idea forward, it's not simply to have validation of what a great idea it is. It's to see if someone can blow holes in the idea. And that takes courage. And many, many leaders are caught up in an inertia of stature and authority, which, you know, are, you know, intoxicating. Uh, And the ability to have the courage to, again, look at oneself, look at the organization through a critical light and gain inputs from all different stakeholders and then take those inputs and actually move them into actionable plans, you know, that is, you know, in many respects, the essence of adaptive leadership. Tom, when you look at things which you may have seen people do, but it's not in the best interest of you becoming adaptive and bringing your organization commercial success and also employee engagement, what are some of the things they could have done differently? Well, you know, I, I, I really appreciated Sean's comments about courage, and what I'll do is, is go at that from a little different direction and talk about cowardice, uh, which is a painful topic. You know, people don't like to even hear that word. But I've seen leaders create a certain level of cowardice in the people in their organization by the way that they respond to failure and to bad news. And all of these uh, adaptive roads are bumpy and, you know, involve uh, things that don't necessarily go that well. And when leaders um, uh, don't don't see the world through the eyes of the people who are working for them and they're, and they're critical and put people in a position of retreating into a shell of, of self-protection, um, the organization just shuts down. And just small offhand comments can sometimes create that condition in the organization because people are very sensitive to it. I just finished speaking to a, a group of people in the investment banking industry And I was specifically speaking to uh, the compliance function, which is very challenging these days because of regulation and because the uncertainty of the problems that they have to face in in banking organizations. And so, you know, we we discussed, you know, what you do when when a senior leader asks the question, um, where was compliance? You know, there's there's a bad outcome, there's something unethical that's happened. And the immediate question is, why didn't the people below me deal with that? And it, it, it really is tricky, uh, difficult ground for a leader because the balance that has to be struck is between reasonable and intelligent accountability, which we can't afford to lose in, in organizations as a leader, and in the more supportive notion of uh, understanding that bad things happen, understanding that uh, chance gets a vote, uh, understanding that not all solutions uh, follow through to a positive outcome. So I think, that, I think that aspect of leadership is really critical in the adaptive sphere. One of the things which people really feel that while they can talk to the people and influence and or uh, control the outcome with the team that reports to them, there is a lot of influence management, especially when you're talking about executive management or a business unit peers that you work with. So what kind of education and communication, and this is for you, Sean, uh, this should be uh, related to the education and communication you uh, offer 
or impart to that peer group or your bosses so that when you're trying to be adaptive and you're doing it for the organizational success and also for employee morale, these people do not unknowingly become the stumbling blocks or send uh, counterproductive messages. Now, this is, again, goes back to culture, Sanjog, and it, you know, it's about the authenticity of the leadership. It's about, you know, empowering those around you. It's about, you know, engendering, you know, again, empathy amongst people. Um, and that, and that's difficult. And, you know, the, the best way to do it is, is through example. It's, uh, by, in fact, you know, kind of walking the talk, as, as people like to say, um, which means that, you know, when these opportunities arise, you know, take advantage of them. Uh, demonstrate to people that their contributions and, and thoughts are, are not only ho- listened to and heard, but, you know, are, are meaningful. Um, give credit. Be generous in giving that credit. Uh, I think that's something else that, you know, in many hierarchical organizations, it, you know, it, it's difficult because, you know, recognition um, is something that can, can oftentimes be withheld, uh, celebrating those successes. The other is uh, tying uh, incentive uh, to, to these behaviors. In fact, if, you know, one believes that incentive is a driver or, or a key determinant in the behavior, then incent people, compensate them for, for these actions, compensate them for these behaviors. Now, Tom, when you look at, uh, you know, Sean's response, that definitely is relevant for uh, the people who are reporting to you. You've got peers as well. Uh, very quickly, what do you think you would want to do or say alongside your other counterparts or peers in the company or even your bosses so that they, they're the ones who you can say or tell uh, about uh, what you're trying to accomplish, but you cannot, you know, brute force it or even you cannot coach them, if you will? No, I mean, I think it has to do with uh, being valuable to peers. Uh, I've, I've been at the head of a number of organizations, and I've been responsible for promoting people in, you know, to higher roles in those organizations. And the people who I always selected to do that were the people who supported their peers and shared ideas and made all boats rise, you know, that actually had an organizational impact before it was their job to do that. And uh, peers, of course, respond very well to that uh, as, as well. People who don't share ideas with peers, who undercut peers and their perception with the boss, you know, these are toxic people in organizations. And sometimes leaders forget that. They, they forget to look hard at the spotlighters and the people who are taking credit and see what their peer relationships are like, because if they're advanced in the organization, they're going to behave exactly the same way uh, when they're in charge of other people. Let's uh, ask one last question to both of you, uh, 10 seconds or 15 seconds each. Give us top two words that come to mind when a person needs to become an adaptive leader. Sean, starting with you. Eager and earnest, which are three words. I'd Tom? say growth mindset, uh, openness, and energy. On behalf of the show and our listeners, I'd really like to thank you both, Tom and Sean, for sharing your thoughts on how organizations can help uh, develop the adaptive leaders and, of course, how the individuals can work on themselves so that they are able to take companies and themselves through uncertain times. Thank you so much again. Terrific. Thank, thank you. you. 
And uh, listeners, please like us on Facebook, search for CIO Talk Radio, and be sure to follow us on Twitter. Thank you again for listening to CIO Talk Radio. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Please join Sun Joke All next Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Central Time, and 10 a.m. Eastern Time for another hour of CIO Talk Radio on the Voice America Business Channel.